All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner and some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back on my lonesome dove once more. And I kid you not, after a very short hiatus, this intro took me about 15 takes to record. So Rust is definitely going to be flying off here into your audio in into your ears, there you go. Um, you might be asking what we're looking at today, so great question, and I'm going to give you an equally good answer. We are, for the very first time ever, going to look at SmackDown taking on Thunder. And, of course, what better place to start than the pilot episode of SmackDown, the very, very first one, way back in April 29th, 1999 coming up to the 20th year anniversary of that very soon this year so great place to pick up and have a look and we're going to see if the WWF's attempt to establish a new B show on or I guess it was really an even keel at the start the idea was um, they're heading the network TV on UPN and they're going straight up against Thunder so returning serve on the picking the same night as your competition Thunder of course has been established for a while so theoretically has the advantage but we're going to have a look at both and decide for ourselves as we always do. We watched SmackDown first because I was super excited to watch the pilot episode, so we're going to head over there in a moment. Let's have a look and see whether or not the WWF puts on a better show than WCW first time at bat. SmackDown opens with a bit of a video package of the goings-on recently, mainly focusing on a couple of things. The first being the face turn by default of The Rock, who was kind of voluntarily slash non-voluntarily left the ministry, so had a bit of a row with Shane, and Shane and Triple H and co. put the boots to him and have basically ditched him from the corporation, so he's now a good guy by virtue of being booted out of there. The other thing that it takes a look at is the Undertaker abducting Stephanie McMahon and the attempted unholy alliance, which was a another really fun memory for people that were fans of the Attitude Era at the time, so that was really cool. Um, the only th- critique I've got on that looking back is obviously, rather than Vince just begging Stone Cold to come out and save Stephanie, why didn't he just send the entire locker room out? I mean, the Ministry consists of about eight guys. Surely everybody else is under Vince's control. Or I guess the argument will be that technically under Shane's control now since his um, hostile takeover of the company, but that's all well and good. Um, you heard the theme opening up there, and that classic SmackDown theme hits me right in the teenage feels. Oh, getting SmackDown on the PlayStation, just amazing, amazing late childhood memories, teenage memories. And the big shock of the very first portion of SmackDown is a commentary team of... Michael Cole and Jim Cornette. Yes, that's right. Jim Cornette was on SmackDown for the very... uh, Well, commentary for the very first SmackDown. I did not know that. Go figure. And obviously, whilst um, I was a huge fan of this era, we were not getting SmackDown on free TV over here in Australia. So I was still at this point in time watching Superstars every week for my roundup and getting the pay-per-views on VHS a couple of months after they came out. So whilst I've seen a lot of this show, I had never watched it in its entirety. So hence the reason for me actually doing this episode. I've got a lot of stuff coming up with partners in the next few weeks, which I'll talk about at the end, but I just thought, what's some good wrestling I can watch and enjoy for the show? And Pilot Smackdown was definitely an easy choice. Of course, being Attitude Era, we couldn't open a show without a in-ring promo setting up the night event. So this time around, it's Vince and a very, very fresh-faced and young Stephanie coming out, flanked by a bunch of police officers for protection with the goings-on that's happened with The Undertaker and The Unholy Alliance. That's not surprising that they've come out with some backup. But that's who opens the show. Um, Vince says that he's made some mistakes in his career. He thanks a lot of the people that have helped him recently with his troubles, Ken Shamrock, The Big Show, and Stone Cold. Thanks them all for helping Stephanie McMahon. Eventually, Stephanie gets on the mic, and she's very, very young and nervous, but follows suit and thanks all the people that have helped her. Uh, This brings out Shane McMahon and The Corporation, 
Shane gets some asshole chants, which uh, the commentators tell us used to be reserved for Vince. He did get a few of them himself. He's still freshly... Um, well, he's not really turned face, but he's not been the evil guy for a couple of weeks at best. Um, Vince cuts a re- uh, Shane, sorry, cuts a really vicious heel promo on them. Vince steps up to go at Shane, but Triple H and China step in between them and stop Vince from going. Um, they kick Vince McMahon and Stephanie out of the ring, tell them to get to stepping. It's a real jarring sight here, seeing fresh heel Triple H still in his long tights, modified from his DX ones. Um, his look will certainly change for the better very, very soon. They announced that Austin and Rock, yes, the um, arch-rivals from the last two pay-per-views, being Backlash and WrestleMania, will team up tonight and have to get on the same page. Shane looks for volunteers. Triple H is the first one to stick his hand up, so he's in the match right away. Bossman and China are also sticking their hands up, but go ignored. Shane drops the key line, are there no other takers? And with that, Undertaker's music hit, and he appears on the Titantron. With that, Taker puts himself into the match, saying he wants a piece of Austin, so it's going to be Triple H and The Undertaker versus The Rock and Stone Cold on the first episode of SmackDown, and absolutely bonds a main event. I'm looking forward to that one. As we fade out into the first commercial, they also give us a rundown of some of the other matches on the card. Kane and X-Pac will defend their tag team titles against the New Age Outlaws. That one should be a doozy, two of my all-time favourite tag teams, particularly from this era. The Big Boss Man will take on Mankind, and Bradshaw will take on Ken Shamrock in a street fight. So I'm looking forward to this card more and more as they go through it. We go to that commercial. As we are going out, we see Deborah and Jeff Jarrett walking, and we see the Blue Blazer walking. So we've definitely got something coming up with Jarrett, Deborah, and the Blazer, who were all very much aligned at this period in time. When we come back, Val Venus is in the ring, and the commentary team chat about Nicole Bass's obsession with him recently. That is a storyline I've done the best to put into the basement of my mind, but it definitely happened. Um, Really dates it here. And we get the typical Val Venus promo from the era. Hello, ladies. Ladies, tonight, I would like to invite each and every single one of you to invest in the Big Balboski's Mutual Fund. (laughs) You see, it's always up more than it's down, and I can guarantee you, with this fund, there will never be an early withdrawal. Val, definitely one with the um, sexual innuendos as per usual. Jarrett comes out with Deborah and he tells us he's the replacement for Owen Hart. The match originally scheduled to be Owen versus Val. But the Blue Blazer jumps in the ring and attacks Val from behind. Blazer hits a backdrop and a slam and a missile drop kick. The crowd chants, we want puppies, we want puppies, as was the style at the time. Val comes back with a clothesline, an elbow, and a lovely delayed vertical suplex. Jim Cornette with his doozy of a line on commentary. If Owen Hart wrestles as a blue blazer, why doesn't Jeff Jarrett wrestle as a tweed sport coat? (laughs) That's so bad. A great dad joke, though. And I'm a dad, so I enjoyed it. Um, Val hits a nice fisherman suplex, but Deborah distracts him. Jarrett uh, distracts the referee, sorry. Jarrett then gets in while Val's bridging in the Fisherman's and punts Val square in the big Val Boski. This allows the blue blazer to pick up the one, two, three. Nicole Bass, seizing her opportunity with Val down and clutching his testicles, comes on down to stalk him. He runs off. Um, Val gets out of there. Bass follows him, and then the Godfather comes out. Apparently, the Godfather won a match against Jarrett recently, where the stipulation was if he won Jarrett at Deborah was to become one of his hoes, and she has not yet fulfilled her prostitutional <laughs> duties. So he's come out to sort that business out. It doesn't work, though, because he comes out and attempts to forcibly take her and ends up on the... Wrong end of a two-on-one beatdown from the Blazer and Jarrett. Uh, this ends the segment, and as we skip backstage, we see The Rock walking and talking to himself in a room and go to the next commercial break. When we come back, Kevin Kelly is with the Blue Blazer backstage, who declares the WWF deplorable several times, says he's going to fix it, and tells all the kids to take their vitamins, say their prayers, and drink their milk. Woo! Classic Owen stuff there. From there, we go to our next matchup, which again is some classic Attitude Era fodder. It's the Big Show taking on Test. The match gets started with Test just basically booting Big Show square in the face right from the jump, and that was cool. Big Show, though, Irish whips Test, and holy motherfucking Jesus, goes up for a flying dropkick. Yes, that's right. The Big Show, just first spot of the match, nails Test with a dropkick. A thing of beauty. Now, 
if Hardcore Holly's dropkick was a 10, and don't argue with me, Hardcore Holly's dropkick was a 10, this Big Show one's got to be at least an 8.5, especially for his size. It was fucking tremendous. I just loved it. So, already, this match rules. Um, he then pretty much ends it, though. Um, picks Test up with the choke slam, or if you're a fan of the SmackDown video games, it's going to become a bit of a theme of this episode. The old showstopper, where he holds him up there for a while, hand under the butt, takes an arm off, one arm, and drops a really cool-looking choke slam there from the Big Show. One, two, three. And then the big boss man comes in. Big Show's getting out the ring um, and basically chases boss man around the ring for a minute, decides to walk back up, and boss man gets into attack test. Um, he starts beating him him with a nightstick, but Big Show goes, nah, fuck that, jumps in and sorts him out, gets rid of old boss man, um, chases him off, and we go to our next commercial. When we come back, The Rock comes out and cuts an electrifying promo on Triple H and Shane, with the crowd singing along and The Rock slowly getting used to the fact that the crowd are in on his catchphrases now. He's no longer chastising chastising them with, this ain't sing-along with The Rock. Since he's not friends with Stone Cold, and this pretty much straight away brings Stone Cold out, he comes out, gives the rock the middle finger, cuts a bit of a promo on the rock, but Shane comes to the ramp and says, you guys had better get your shit together. Didn't use the word shit, obviously, because he says this plan is getting bigger. The Undertaker walks out and stands side by side with Shane, and then all the members of the corporation and the ministry come out, and they form the corporate ministry. He says they'd better to get, get it together because this is going to be huge, so... Absolutely awesome. The debut of the corporate ministry. This hits me right in the feels. Some good old 1999 stuff. And they're coming out with the heavy hitters for the first episode of SmackDown. They go to another commercial. And when they come back, Kevin Kelly is with X-Pac and Kane, the original odd couple, tag team champions. Ask them a few things about their title match with the Outlaws. Basically, um, it shows Kane chokeslamming X-Pac twice in some of their previous matches. X-Pac says that if Kane likes things unpredictable, then he's going to love what he gets here. So we go off wondering whether or not these tag partners can be a cohesive unit taking on the multiple-time champions New Age Outlaws. From there, we go to our next matchup, which is D'Lo Brown taking on Draws. And I had a momentary, momentary panic when I thought, fuck, this is not the match where he gets paralyzed. Please don't let it be that one. I've picked this episode for some light-hearted watching, but thankfully, no, we're okay. Draws comes out with a fairly fresh-faced Prince Albert, so he's around here, and D'Lo Brown comes out with Ivory. I'd completely forgotten that D'Lo, Mark Henry, and Ivory had their little um, stable thing for a short period here in 99, so that's pretty cool to see that again. The match starts with a D'Lo Brown hip toss, followed by a Draws back elbow and a power slam. D'Lo puts Draws up for the running power bomb, and my heart absolutely sits in my chest, but he lands it okay this time around. Um, Draws hits a clothesline, and D'Lo hits a leg lariat and a leg drop. Hits a sky high, but when he goes up top for the low down, Prince Albert pushes him off the top. D'Lo sends Draws into Prince Albert and plunges over the top to both. D'Lo definitely was really looking sharp at this point in time. 99 D'Lo was a thing of beauty. Prince Albert gets in and hits a press slam into a sit-out, which of course brings an automatic disqualification. And then he goes to get his piercing kit, and it looks as though they're going to pierce the tongue of D'Lo Brown. But Ivory runs to the back, a la Miss Elizabeth and the Mega Powers here, really getting some old-school stuff in, and brings back a returning Mark Henry in a beautiful green suit. It's not quite a salmon jacket, but it's up there. Mark Henry had been out for double knee surgery, Cornette tells us, but he basically comes in here, runs off Albert and draws, and saves the day, and has a big hug and reunion with D'Lo Brown. This takes us to the next commercial break, and when we come back, Kevin Kelly attempts to interview the challengers this time, the New Age Outlaws, the Road Dog, basically says it's going to be a bit of a tough gig because they're friends, and Billy Gunn cuts him short. He's not happy with that, says it's about the titles, get your head screwed on. And it is time for that matchup now, X-Pac and Kane defending against the New Age Outlaws. This brings me to a rather ridiculous story from my childhood. Um, I mentioned at the start of the show that I was living off superstars and pay-per-views on VHS at this point in time. But we did have occasionally get the occasional friend in school, my brother and I, who um, had pay TV and would feed us bits of information, even very, very rarely managed to convince their parents to let them record an episode of um, Raw or SmackDown for us if they weren't using it on one of those nights. And um, 
this was the period of time, Kane and X-Pac tagging, when my brother decided to come home and tell me one of his friends had watched the shows that week and could give us some information. Superstars, of course, was not always on time. If they skipped an episode, they didn't just skip it. They've played that one the following week. So imagine that over, you know, the course of a year, 18 months, you fall behind pretty quickly if they're not showing it every week. Anywho, getting back on track, my brother comes home and decides he's going to give me a rundown of what had been happening that week in wrestling from one of his friends in school. He was in primary school. I was in high school at this point. So great. So he's telling me all this different information about the corporation and the ministry and Austin and the rock. And he gets to Kane and X Park and he tells me that Kane might be saying suck it soon. I'm like, sorry, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Kane's going to be in DX and he's going to do the pyro and say suck it. And I'm like, so you're telling me Kane came out and announced that he might join DX and he might say their catchphrase. And upon realizing how ridiculous this sounds, completely backtracked, but it's just been one of those inside jokes for nearly 20 years, as I said earlier as well, where I do it very occasionally, bring this one out and we have a good chuckle at it. So one of the more ridiculous things, kids these days will never know the struggle of trying to get information on wrestling in the 90s. Road Dog comes out and does his usual shtick, but Billy Gunn refuses to do the ending, so he might not be saying suck it soon. And we get the match started. X-Pac hits a lovely spinning heel kick. Uh, the Road Dog hits a hip toss, and Billy Gunn tags in. Kane comes in and takes over, basically tags in by force, and exchanges punches in the corner with Billy Gunn. Kane hits a clothesline and a big leg drop for a two count. Billy Gunn goes to work on the right arm of Kane, which was interesting. I guess the story being he's trying to stop the choke slam. X-Pac comes in but eats a Billy Gunn dropkick. Road Dog comes in but doesn't want to punch X-Pac while Billy Gunn holds his arm. So he just basically wants to take over on singles offense. When Billy Gunn gets back in, he hits a lovely stinger splash, but on the second attempt goes headfirst into the post and drops with the flare flop. Kane comes in and hits a big boot, uh, but then goes into the Road Dog shake punches and the shaky knee drop. Um, we get a double drop kick by the Outlaws. Kane gets Road Dog in the goozle and then boots Billy Gunn and with his spare arm goozles X-Puck. This all breaks down into a four-man brawl. The Road Dog hits a low blow on Kane. Um, Billy Gunn hits a famouser, but X-Puck makes a save. Um, no DQ on the low blow, even though the ref was watching, which was interesting. Billy Gunn hits a nice press slam on X-Puck. Road Dog um, accidentally, though, before he can throw in bumps into Billy Gunn and they drop X-Puck landing on top, picking up the one, two, three. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, it looks like the Outlaws are arguing backstage, and Billy Gunn seems to dissolve the tag team, or at least that's how it appears, and storm off. When we come back, we get Doc Hendricks in the ring, and he introduces The Brood. I'm going to splice a little bit of this in here, but basically the backstory is The Brood have never spoken, and they're about to break their silence. This will be the first time they ever speak on TV. And if you listen to the first part of the promo, it should be the fucking last time. Anyone that gives Gangrel a microphone deserves shooting because all the cool and the uniqueness of Gangrel's character is instantly dissolved. I can only imagine this is where the seeds were planted for Edge and Christian fucking him off and doing their own thing. So have a listen and tell me if I'm being too harsh, but I doubt you will disagree. Doc Hendricks to do the interview. Have waited for what seems like an eternity for the brood to finally break their silence. Center stage is yours. The Brood initially has not spoken by our own choice. And then later, it was forbidden <laughs> by the Undertaker. Well, when the Brood entered this world, we craved the guidance. That guiding light to show us the way. And that was the Undertaker. Well, unfortunately, the Undertaker's thoughts and feelings were not the same as ours. <laughs> we're in the darkness, we seek a much different light. We live our collective lifestyles for who we are and what we believe in. In the search of the mystery of life and the hereafter. And the power is what we seek. And it's within all of us. And we just have to unleash it. <laughs> well, with all due respect, some say, some say they don't understand your lifestyle and others Others, quite frankly, think the brood are basically off the charts. They will understand. Understanding is just a matter of time. The power lies within us, and it's up to us to find it. We are who we are. 
the unholy trio. And we will become what we will become. For those who believe, we'll follow. For those that don't, we'll merely exist. So, Doc, I suggest that you beware. Take care, because the freaks come out at night. <laughs> look, 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 look. I don't know uh, what y'all are smoking, but if you ask me, seriously, it's nothing but a gimmick. You're just trying to get attention on yourselves. A gimmick, Doc? Is that what you see? Well, we don't care what you think. We know who we are and what we're capable of. You seem to be the one that's confused. Isn't that right, Michael? <laughs> oh, Doc Hendricks. Wait a minute. Doc Hendricks at one time known as Michael P.S. Hayes, a member of the legendary Fabulous Freebirds team in the 80s, and they have he has just been attacked well, evidently the Bruce, by the Bruce. The Bruce just attacked Doc Hendricks. And he can't, can't see anything that's going on. All I know is they called him by his real name, and then suddenly the lights went out. And... Wait, wait. Oh, my God. Doc Hendricks, the victim of another brood bloodbath. That's that psychological tactic that the brood uses against their opponents. They surprise him and then give him a bloodbath. So there you heard, we get a bloodbath from the brood after basically outing Doc Hendricks as being Michael P.S. Hayes, in case anybody wasn't sure. And then as we go to the next commercial, we see Billy Gunn walking backstage looking for X-Pac, insulting him as he looks. When we come back, Kevin Kelly is with Ken Shamrock, who cuts an okay promo on Bradshaw and talks about how he's going to break his bones. And then it's time for the street fight, Bradshaw taking on Shamrock. Ken Shamrock jumps Bradshaw from behind on the entranceway, and the match gets started right away. Bradshaw fires back with the SOS for a two-count. Ken Shamrock hits a nice chop block and a rolling leg lock before they brawl along the outside. Bradshaw hits Ken Shamrock with two pretty brutal-looking baseball bat shots, but Shamrock fights back with another uh, chop block. As I see a sign in the crowd, which really piques my interest, it says, 89 days until Raw is Jericho. So somebody was ahead of the time and up with the dirt sheets at that point. Shamrock gets a uh, baseball bat away from Bradshaw and hits him with two pretty brutal bat shots of his own before locking in a chokehold slash sleeper with the baseball bat and choking Bradshaw out. After the match, Ken Shamrock, as he was wont to do at this period, kept on choking until the referees broke him off and then beat the shit out of Sergeant Slaughter with the baseball bat. So go figure. Did I just say baseball blat? I'm not lining this one back. Feel free to let me know if I can talk or not this time around. Kevin Kelly's with Mankind in the boiler room, and we're going to go back and have a look, quick look at that promo and see what that one was all about. Mankind tonight here on Spending with Old Rivalry against the Big Boss Man. You know, Kevin, as I was sitting in this boiler room, I suddenly had the feeling, doggone it, why don't we just call off the whole thing for forgive, forgive and forget, let bygones be forgotten. Then I realized if I were to do that, I'd be out of a job, and UPN would be out one sports entertainment spectacular. So for those of you who don't know me, let me explain myself. I sit in boiler rooms because I enjoy the ambiance. I wear a sweaty leather mask because it helps me sell little dolls. I wear a shirt and tie because it looks so damn good, and I will shove this rancid sock that looks a lot like me down the gullet of the boss man because I can and because the fans seem to enjoy it quite a bit. Have a nice day. Xbox, you can't hide from me forever. Xbox, get out of here. And what a whiner. We then very, very briefly um, sequence into a different clip, which is Shane McMahon giving a bit of a pep talk to the corporate ministry. It's sort of through an open door into a dressing room like we're peering in, but it's so stupid. This was before... I guess Shane was a really well-defined character because he basically says something along the lines of, Tonight, we see my plan, the corporate ministry, all put together by me, Shane McMahon. Ha 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 And it's like, nobody talks like that to other people, dickhead. Come on, seriously. Like, they know who you are. They're in your faction. You don't need to go, me, Shane McMahon. 
So it was just a bit corny, but it was a very brief five-second thing, so they've got to pass and we'll move on. It is now time for the big boss man taking on Mankind, and it's at this point during these entrances I realised I haven't actually made a SmackDown set yet. It's just basically the Raw entrance without the Raw logos on it and some blue lights, so interesting there. The match gets started pretty hot and heavy with Mankind hitting a double-arm DDT and bringing out Socko. Boss man bails, but this brings out Test in a FUBU jersey because 1999, that's why. Tosses the boss man back in the ring and walks to the side of the ring. Boss man hits some punches and then Mankind goes back on the offense. The boss man bails again. Big Show then comes out, press slams boss man back into the ring and Mankind puts on Mr. Socko. Um, that's it. One, two, three. Um, not one, two, three. Submission victory, sorry. And Cole and Cornette wonder on commentary if these guys are forming some form of union. So stay tuned. Billy Gunn eventually catches up with X-Pac in the backstage area and starts to beat on him, but Kane comes in and makes the save, so it looks like there's some unity forming there, but some dissension in Degeneration X. And it is now time for your main event. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the freshly healed Triple H, teaming with The Undertaker, one of the main players in the newly formed corporate ministry, taking on arch-rivals and recent um, opponents in pay-per-view and the most recent WrestleMania main event, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the WWF champion, and The Rock, the former WWF champion. I watched the entrances for this match, and I immediately miss The Rock's sort of 98-99 theme songs. The Rock says is one of the most underrated songs. Back when I just used to have a few more catchphrases and sound bites through it than what it does nowadays, The Rock says... The Rock says, know your damn roll. Just stuff like that. It's just a great theme. Absolutely underrated. Undertaker and Triple H manage to two-on-one The Rock before Austin gets out. When he does come out, it's time for the um, usual four-man brawl. Austin hits a clothesline for a two. Triple H comes back with a high knee, a big slam, and his face buster for a two. Austin off the second rope with an axe handle. The Rock comes in and hits his signature punches, but The Undertaker hits him with a big running DDT for a two count. Rock fights back with his own DDT for a two. They both hit each other with a clothesline and have a little lay down on the mat. We get four-man brawling once again, and then all of the corporate ministry come in and begin to beat the piss out of the two baby faces. It's many, many on two. Test, The Big Show, and Ken Shamrock all come out to help make the save. Everybody brawls to the back except for the original four, and then Triple H and The Rock brawl through the crowd, leaving Austin and Undertaker center stage. Undertaker hits a big choke slam, and then Shane gets into the ring holding a chair, but Vince grabs the chair and hits a big punch on Shane knocking him down. Undertaker takes a chair from Vince and absolutely ends him with an unprotected chair shot, which made me cringe 20 years into the future. Austin then hits the Undertaker with a stunner as Undertaker was over Vince McMahon preparing to take apart the unconscious Vince. So they're sort of making out here that Vince saved Austin from a two-on-one and then Austin saved him from the Undertaker. Shane begins to beat on Vince McMahon um, while Austin's celebrating in the ring. So then Austin turns around and hits Shane with a stunner. Really wild ending here. And Vince, uh, sorry, Vince, and Austin goes and gets the beers and one of them he pours over Vince to help wake him up from his unconscious state. A really fantastic, wild faction brawl with all the main eventers, all the big names to end the very first episode of SmackDown, the pilot. And if you can't tell, I'm definitely gushing over this show. It was sensational. If you've not watched it, go and watch it right now. That will do it for SmackDown. They obviously hit on all cylinders, good action, great characters, everyone on board for the new show. Let's see if the established WCW and their big roster of big names can put on something that would be better than this. Peace God, now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that jaw, it's like that jaw. head over to Thunder, however, we need to take a little trip down memory lane and talk about some merchandise from the past which yours truly has owned. 
Today's going to be a happy story. It's going to be my first ever wrestling figures or my first ever Hasbro wrestling figures. I bl- I definitely own some of the smaller scale LJNs, um, but I'm not, I don't have memories of going and purchasing them from the store. So I'm not sure if they were handed down from my cousins or a gift or how I acquired them. But the first wrestling figures I ever remember going and getting Hasbro Series 1. I remember we went to Asda in Manchester. My mum took me in and... Obviously, everything seems bigger when you're a child, but in my mind, there was this big, um, you know, you get the big sort of baskets in the middle of aisles full of, you know, an overflow of product. This thing, to me, was the size of a pool table and just as deep, and it was full of Hasbro Series 1. I dug and I dug and I dug and I never came across a Hulk Hogan, but that wasn't the end of the world because I wasn't exactly a, a Hulkamania guy. I, my first thoughts were to get Hogan and the Warrior and recreate WrestleMania six because this would have been late 1990 that this happened, um, late 90, early 91, but I want to say late 90. The two I did, however, come across were that beautiful green Ultimate Warrior, so technically the first figure that I ever bought, and Andre the Giant, and oh, it was a glorious day. There must have been a bit of a buzz about Hasbro, because despite the fact that it would have only been six at the time, I do clearly remember a couple of my friends from school riding their bikes over, in Manchester, of course, where it's not exactly warm to see these figures, because I was one of the first people to have the Hasbros, and that started a... On and again, off again, currently very much on again, <laughs> obsession with wrestling figures and is definitely a great childhood memory. I currently have both of those figures again in my um, collection, not on display currently, but I do definitely have them both cherished and I'm so happy to own them again, but the first time around will never be beaten. Eventually, I did get every figure in Series 1 and a pretty sizable collection of Hasbros. I wish I'd kept them all because obviously some of them are worth crazy money now, but it's not really about the money, is it? I just want them again to say that I've got them. But that is my trip down memory lane for this week. Um, Definitely an enjoyable one and one of my favorite childhood memories. to get started with Ric Flair dancing in a mental institution with a bunch of the patients. <laughs> Not quite the same opening there. Um, it is what it is. We then scan the crowd and notice that in the arena, the whole upper deck is empty. And we go to a video package of Ronnie Piper getting Ric Flair taken away because he'd gone mad with power as the president of WCW. Um, we see some things like Charles Robinson being temporarily in charge and some other shenanigans of the time. Larry Zabisco and Tony Schiavone, uh, sorry, Larry Zabisco and, yeah, Tony Schiavone, I was right the first time, are our commentary team, and they tell us that the world title changed hands twice on Monday Nitro, so it's definitely 99, um, Zabisco is in a Penn State shirt, that is where the show is taking place, and he gets a generous round of applause from the crowd for being the hometown boy, and we get started with our first match, Kurt Hennig taking on Booker T for the TV title, Booker T of course is the champ, and he opens up with a shoulder block, before um, Hennig bumps really, really big, and comes back with some chops, Booker T with a hip toss, and we go to a commercial early in the first match. We get an eye poke from Hennig and some jabs. Booker T then squares up and we go for some a little bit of a boxing square off here. Um, hit some big punches on Hennig who bumps to the outside. A big forearm from Booker for a two count before a hot shot and a low blow from Hennig. An atomic drop, a snap mare and his classic Mr. Perfect neck whip followed by a knee lift. Um, he does look very ginger though moving around the ring. Um, they talk about his previous injuries to his knee and his back and he is kind of looking a little bit reminiscent of Shawn Michaels at Mania 14 here. Um, obviously the back injury and the knee injury um, are not doing the best for his mobility but he's definitely still bumping like a boss. 
He locks on a sleeper, and then when that doesn't work, hits a pile driver. Booker T fights back, however, with a sidekick and a scissor kick, which he hits a spinner-rooney from, a big leg lariat, and with Hennig groggy against the ropes, Stevie Ray runs down the aisle and just jumps up and clobbers him in the head with a slapjack right in front of the referee for the DQ, and they sort of argue a little bit and sell that Booker T didn't want him to do it um, as they go to a commercial Coming out of the commercial, though, we get a really weird... It's like Kevin Nash is about to come out because his Titantron plays, but it's just sort of like a filler clip, like a 45-second Titantron-style video for no reason whatsoever, which I find weird. And that brings out Hardcore Hack and Chastity. So, yeah, this is the Sandman in WCW. I'm interested to see how this goes. He cuts a pretty crap promo, to be fair, about how hardcore he is. Talking about how Bam Bam Bigelow's the king of hardcore, but he's here to show everybody what he is too. Names a bunch of people he's beaten up, like Bam Bam and Goldberg, etc. And asks Chastity to name someone he should beat up. She whispers in his ears a couple of times, and he goes, oh, he's not big enough, he's too old, blah, 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 blah. And then she gets the mic and says, well, if you want someone bigger, how about Big Sexy? And then he basically says, oh, Little Sexy wants me to beat up Big Sexy. It's a really shit promo, but the challenge is on. Kevin Nash, do you want a hardcore match with a man called Hack later on? From there, we get Booker T and Rick Steiner in the back brawling. So we're told Rick Steiner is going to be challenging for that TV title soon. He accuses Booker T of being in on that, who disagrees, and then they just beat the shit out of each other momentarily. And from there, we bring out Buff Bagwell. In here tonight and party downtown among the Penn State Nittany Lions. It took me about three seconds to realize how bad Michigan really sucks. you to do right now is close your eyes and picture the perfect man with the perfect body and when you open your eyes you'll see standing before you the big bad doo-doo daddy Been watching too many videos. So last night as I was sitting in my hotel room, the Motel 6, I was watching the BET channel trying to steal one more line for another interview from a rapper. And I came up with this one. I'm not a player, I'm just on parole a lot. You want to go slamboree, U.S. title shot, you got it. You want me, you want the ultimate man, slamboree, you bring it, and I'll show you that I'm Scott Steiner, and there's no bigger liar than Scott Steiner. So this goes to all you freaks out there. Big Papa Dump is an idiot. Flush me if you hear me. There's a pay toilet. Hit the music. So that was Buff Bagwell's impersonation of Scott Steiner. In actuality, it wasn't too bad and was a fairly decent promo from Buff there. We do see a lot of Buff Bagwell signs in the crowd, so he's definitely the big baby face in this scenario. From there, we go to Stevie Ray taking on Jerry Flynn, and you always double-take when you see Jerry Flynn thinking it might have been Jerry Lynn. But no, sadly not, it was Jerry Flynn. Stevie Ray is being called the boss of NWA Black and White. We all know that's not really the case. He may be a storyline going on, but that's all it was going to be Hulk Hogan. Flynn hits a hip toss and some corner kicks. Um, Stevie is, of course, out with a whole bunch of the B-team NWO guys. 
Um, we get an ankle lock from Flynn, but Stevie Ray gets to the ropes. We get an arm drag, and then we get a distraction from Vincent, and Horace makes the save from a leg lock. Um, Scott Norton and Crush beat away on Jerry Flynn on the outside with Vincent distracting, distracting the ref. Stevie Ray hits a slam and a leg drop for a two. Jerry Flynn hits a nice spin kick and a chop and then another spin kick. He does look a little bit like a pound chop Steve Blackman, though, so take that for what you will. Stevie Ray hits a boot and the slapjack, which is like a, almost like a pedigree, but the guy goes a bit more vertical. Um, and that picks up the one, two, three. And the commentary team tell us to look out for WCW Saturday night this week because we'll see the nasty boy, Brian Nobbs, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Buff the Stuff Bagwell. From there, we go to the previously challenged match of Hack taking on Kevin Nash. Hack gets a ladder and a table out right at the start during his entrance. Kevin Nash comes in and, of course, hits his usual offense, his elbows and his knees and his corner elbow with the little picture taken with his fingers. Hits a sidewalk slam onto the ladder, which was pretty brutal, and then some ladder shots to Hack. But when he goes to throw Hack through the table set up in the corner, Hack reverses the Irish whip and Nash takes a bit of an awkward bump through the table. Some kendo stick shots, including a brutal one to the head of Nash, and then a slingshot leg drop over the ropes onto the ladder onto Nash. He just made it, but it was a pretty rough spot. Hack looks pretty poor here. His outfit is wrestling. Everything about his presentation is pretty, pretty shit. Paulie was definitely a genius to make the Sandman a big star. Um, we get a swanton onto the ladder onto Nash for a two before Chastity gets in with a fire extinguisher and very awkwardly waits for Nash to take it off her. Um, she fire, he fires away with that and onto Hack as well, then hits him with a jackknife through the table for the one, two, three, making fairly short work of Hack. From there, Gene is with Bam Bam Bigelow, who challenges DDP to a match tonight, saying they're both from Jersey and sort of alludes to the fact that they grew up together. It's not a great promo. That was not Bam Bam's strong point, but I am intrigued to see Bam Bam taking on DDP. From there, we go to Meng taking on Goldberg. Uh, Meng hits a slam, which Goldberg no-sells. He hits a slam of his own and a big clothesline. Meng powders and then hits an eye rake and a side slam for a two. Goldberg comes back with another slam and a big sidekick for a two. Goldberg then botches a corner Irish whip, but hits a sidekick, a spear, and a jackhammer for the 1-2-3 in a match which was short enough to be inoffensive, and I do quite like Goldberg's big power spots, and I've got a soft spot for Meng, so not the best match in the world, but it was certainly passable, and, you know, it was it was mildly enjoyable. From there, Gene is with DDP, who thanks for a shoot, as he tells us, the assassin Jody Hamilton, Jake the Snake Roberts and Dusty Rhodes for helping him become as great as he is. Gene tells him that's a bit self-serving. Um, but then he cuts a bit of a heel promo on everyone else and says that he doesn't need anybody. Gene gets annoyed that he refuses to answer the challenge for Bam Bam, which he keeps putting off. Eventually, he does accept the challenge, and we move on. From there, we go to the Disciple, a.k.a. Brutus the fucking bar, the Beefcake, taking on the Macho Man Randy Savage in a match which is clearly 10 years out of date. Macho comes out with quite the ensemble of ladies, Medusa, Miss Madness, a.k.a. Molly Holly, and Gorgeous George. Macho is full bone saw McGraw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much in his final form. Um, he starts a match with his sonnies on as well. So just, this is ridiculous. They exchange blows and some pretty, um, some corner buckle offense. Nothing major here. Macho hits a snapmare and a chin lock. And it's a very punch kick and a really dull encounter early on. Disciple hits a snapmare and a chin lock, and the crowd look really bored. I look really bored on my living room if you see me. This was definitely um, the worst of WCW, and this was my opinion of it in the late 90s as well. I mean, I didn't watch it all that much, so, you know, I'm always happy to debate this, and there was some good stuff on there that I'm really sad I missed out on, but my opinion of WCW was it's all the old guys that I used to like in WWF 10 years ago, and having Brutus Beefcake versus the Macho Man definitely didn't help. I love Macho as much as the next guy, but in 1999, he needed, needed better quality of opposition. He was not the guy carrying people at this point in his career. Gorgeous George distracts a referee, Miss Madness, and um, Medusa hit a double team on the outside with Medusa hitting a nice big kick. Larry Zabisco sells it like she hit him with a corner and the toe of her high heels. They throw him back in, Macho gets a slam and the top rope elbow and then pins him with his foot on his chest, rightfully so. Macho is a much, much bigger star, picks up the 1-2-3 in our semi-main. 
From there, it's time for the main event of Thunder, and it's Bam Bam Bigelow taking on DDP, the World Heavyweight Champion. They never announce it as being a title match, but the commentators certainly allude to that. We get some punches from DDP, but Bamus fights back. We get, um, I'm a bit sort of trying to figure out whether or not Bamus is a face here, because DDP certainly isn't. Bam hits a press slam and a power slam for a two. Um, and this referee has a fucking mega mullet for 1999. Well played, son. It's a beauty. DDP hits a plunger to the outside, and we go to a commercial. When we come back, we've got some outside brawling. And they, um, Bama throws DDP off the commentary table, um, he basically throws him onto a table, but DDP moves. Um, he slides off to the floor. Oh, sorry, Bamas jumps off the commentary table towards DDP, who's lay on a table. He moves, and he just slides off it to the floor. Looks really sore. They brawl a bit more. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow's gimmick here is he's the king of hardcore, so this was what you're going to get. Um, we get a top rope headbutt from Bigelow for a two, and then a side slam for a two before DDP hits his patented discus clothesline for a two. Um, he then hits a DDT for a two. Bigelow comes back with a slam, but DDP counters another slam into the diamond cutter. Uh, Macho Man then comes out and hits a top rope elbow on Bigelow, which is okay because it's a hardcore match, and DDP then pins him for the three, and we go off the air wondering what this alliance between DDP and Macho Man is. We're told Macho also helped him win the belt on Monday, and this is setting up some sort of storyline between Page and Savage. Overall, a decent main event, not the star-studded affair that SmackDown had, but certainly not awful either. So we're going to have to go on over and pick ourselves a winner. So we start out this one with production value, and even though we use the Raw is War set, I just feel the WWF product looked a lot better and a lot more current than than Thunder Sorry did at this point in time. So WWF's going to get an early win off the bat there. The way they came in and out of the ad breaks and the show definitely looked a lot smoother, and they didn't have any of them weird Titan-drawn videos just to fill some time on the show either. It's like something you'd book on EWR Revenge, to be honest. Um... From there, we're going to go to Crowd Heat, and it was definitely SmackDown that had the crowd. They pre presented a hot show full of characters the guys wanted to see um, in a packed building, whereas Thunder had a half-full building and produced a show full of, you know, mediocre stuff that the crowd weren't necessarily behind. They didn't have all their top stars, which takes us through to characters, and WWF definitely put all their top stars on. Everybody was there. WCW, of course, lacking Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, and a whole host of other big names from the show, so they certainly didn't put their best foot forward there. From there, we go to storylines, and I definitely think SmackDown takes the cake here. WCW had some storyline advancement, but SmackDown created the corporate ministry. Rock and Austin teased. The Outlaws broke up. Kane and X-Pac grew closer. Um, the Blazer storyline was continued. The Brood spoke for the first time. There's a lot of storyline advancement on this show. Match quality is the last one, and it's no shock to anyone that's listened thus far. SmackDown's going to pick up a very, very easy clean sweep here. Um, D'Lo Brown in the ring, um, the Blue Blazer in the ring, Rock Austin take a Triple H. It was all good stuff. No standout amazing matches, but everything they presented was good. Um, WCW's matches were okay. There was nothing terrible, but nothing they presented was hot. So... That's really the difference between the two shows. We had something hot and fresh and something lumbered and stale. Thunder wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination, and SmackDown wasn't amazing, but one was hot, one wasn't. That will do it for today's episode. I just wanted to get a little bit of something out there. Um, the reason why I've come to this period of time and not back on the timeline is because the next Nitro and Raw episode is actually going to feature a special guest, and it's going to be Henry Hugepex from the Raw Attitude podcast. So... If you've never listened to that show, I definitely suggest you do, and certainly look for Henry's appearance coming up here in the next week or two on this show. Uh, the reason why I've got him on board is because it's actually the debut of Scott Hall on Nitro, the next episode, and I feel as though that was a real first step towards the Attitude Era. Um, obviously, everyone's got their own starting point, but I feel the NWO changed the changed wrestling to be a more adult-themed show. It was very, still very cartoony at the time. I mean, that show's even still got Glacier adverts on it, for crying out loud. So 
NWO definitely put that push. WWF kicked it up several notches, but I think that's the first step. And since he is chronologically critiquing the Raw episodes from the Attitude Era, I felt as though he'd be the best person to talk about the debut of this style of wrestling. So we're going to have a good chat about that and break it down. Um, Carl and I are also looking at the pay-per-view, so they're sort of coinciding with obviously one pay-per-view being after TV and the other being the week before so we're going to be looking at the pay-per-views very soon and breaking that down for you before i get back in touch with richie for some 80s wrestling so there's lots of two-man shows coming up soon uh duncan and i will once again get into tna and raw as well so i will talk to you all again very soon also if you haven't done yet go over and check out my appearance on wrestling court on then now whatever podcast um that was a ton of fun for me to be on their show working with duncan and kyle it's something i've wanted to do for a long time Um, i feel like i'm plugging way more than usual here but definitely do go and check that out for me it was a ton of fun those guys are really good they do an awesome podcast it's something i listen to every time they drop and the it's a real privilege for me to be on there so if you support this show please also go and check out my appearance on there if the ratings are good they might even have me back one day so thank you all again get in touch on twitter um drop me an email or please do leave a five-star review for the show it's been a long time since we had one of them and we're craving some new material thanks heaps guys and i will talk to you all again very soon Gunning this, brother running this, Buffalo soldier. Look, it's like I told you, any damsel that's in distress, be out of that dress when she meet Jim West. Rough neck, so go check the lawn and buy. Watch your step with flex and get a hole in your side. Swallow your pride, don't let your lip react. You don't want to see my hand where my hip be at. With Artemis from the start of this, running the game. James West, taming the West, so remember the name. Now who you going to call? Not the GB. Now who you going to call? G-W-G. If you ever riff with, people want to bust, break out before you get bumped. When I roll into the wild, wild west, when I stroll into the wild, wild west, when I bounce into the wild, wild west, it's going, it's going. Madman lost his damn mind in the West. Love less, kidnapper down, nothing less. Now I must put his behind to the test. Then through the shadows in the saddle, ready for battle. Bring all your poison, it come to poison. Behind my back, all they ripping you dead. Front and center, now where you lip back kid? Who that is? A mean brother, bow for your health. Looking damn good, though, if I can say it myself. Told me Loveless is a madman, but I don't fit that. He got mad weapons, too. Ain't trying to hear that. Trying to bring down me, the champion. When y'all clowns gonna see that it can't be done. Understand? Me, son. I'm the slickest they is, I'm the quickest they is Did I say I'm the slickest they is? So if you walking up the wrong tree, we coming Don't be starting nothing, me and my partner gonna Test your chest, loveless Can't stand the heat to get out the wild